Welcome to Dream Big with Big Dreamers, conversations for career growth, inspiration, and insight, hosted by Donna Sardula and yours truly, Scott Jones. Here are the inspiring stories that shape the careers of top executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals. These empowering discussions offer guidance and advice as you advance in your career. It's time to dream big. Welcome to Dream Big with Big Dreamers, conversations for career growth, inspiration, and insight. Here are the inspiring stories that shape the careers of top executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals. These empowering discussions offer guidance and advice as you advance in your career. It's time to dream big. Hey there, Scott. How you doing? I am hanging in there. We're, I'm, like you, I am snowed in. Snowed in. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. You know, talking about being like, Snowed in used to be like you could you'd actually you know would stay home, but now everybody is working from home. But you know, I look at my 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 career, and I've almost always worked from home. Did did you work from home, Scott, or did you actually yeah. go in somewhere? Yeah, I mean, m- mostly I've worked from home a lot. I mean, there yeah, I mean, there's been times where I've had offices, but usually it was in the context of religious nonprofits and stuff, so I could work from home. I mean, it wasn't you know it was. So normally, yeah, I mean that 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 has not changed that much, all that much for me. Um, yeah, it, it hasn't changed a lot for me either. But for a lot of people, this pandemic has has really ushered in a, a state of of disruption with you know the workplace and where we work. And you know, our guest today, uh, you know, he had cited uh, the book The Outsiders. Now, I'm not talking about. The one about the gracers and the socials. <laughs> Although I have to say, I did read that one. <laughs> but um, Outsiders by William Thorndike. Uh, and it explores unconventional CEOs and, and their blueprint for success. And, and really, I think when you, when you look at that book, it's all about leaders thinking differently and different strategies that they put in place and, and the ability to innovate and accept this disruption. Yeah, so, very, uh, very true. And hi, and it, it's good to be with you all today. Um, I, I, unlike the two of you, I'm very used to being in an office uh, from <laughs> seven till six in the afternoon. And so um, uh, quite a big change. And yet we've gotten through it and in some cases are better served because of what we're able to do now uh, from, you know, just better connectivity um, leveraging each other's capabilities. We all know what each other's pets are and who they look like and what they sound like. And uh, isn't the, isn't it, I almost feel like working from home has really humanized us as a workplace. But before we get into that, Nelson, I want to, I want to introduce you properly. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so our, our guest today is Nelson Squires. Nelson Squires is the EVP and GM for Wesco's global electrical and electronic solutions business. He's been with Wesco for five years and joined the lead. He joined to lead the Canadian business. He currently resides in Pittsburgh with his family. Now, I don't know if many people, Nelson, know this about you internally at your company, but you started your career in the United States Army, and you mm-hmm. spent four years there. You were an operations officer. You were responsible for planning, training, and deployment for a 720-man infantry battalion. And you were noticed and fast-tracked 
and uh, you had accelerated promotions. You were an army captain and you earned the army commendation medal. How did that, like, how did that imbue this career that you have today? Because you, you didn't just end up at Westcott. I mean, you spent 26 years at Air Products. You had a full career there. And then, then you changed direction, changed yes. everything. Well, uh, it's, it's a great question. And as I look back, um, and I've been out of the Army a long time now, but a lot of the fundamentals and the things that you learn stay with you. The first thing is you get an enormous amount of responsibility at a very young age. And that's, uh, you know, frankly, unlike traditional uh, businesses, et cetera, put in charge of um, people, millions of dollars of government assets, uh, the safety and well-being of people. And it, it brings it brings about a, uh, a level of responsibility Level of I almost think it forces you to grow up really it sure fast. Does. It sure does. And that, I think, was the one thing that I noticed when I got out of the service and joined a company is I felt, in, in a good way, 10 years older than the people I was working with, my peers. And uh, be, it was because of the gravitas of the work and responsibilities that, that we had. And, and two things stay with me. One is good planning never goes out of style. And so mm-hmm. in the military, you must plan. It's it's part of how you operate. We used to laugh and say, you don't want to be an hour late for a dawn invasion. You know, so you, you need to plan properly. You need to make sure your team is ready to go. You need to lead. So so the planning is there. And, and then the, along with that is probably the discipline. And mm-hmm. And I don't mean discipline in the crack the rule or on the table, but it's around making sure that you're following good habits all the time. And, and frankly, I've had to even evaluate that and reevaluate that as a part of this pandemic in terms of how I operate and, and making sure that I'm, I'm taking in, you know, time for personal health and wellness and just things that could really get pushed to the side because you're just dealing with so much all the time. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of young men and, and women, as they transition out of the military, there's, there's a lot of them that do struggle. And is, is it a mindset? Is it that they, when they're in the military, they're, they're being forced to be disciplined rather than learning the discipline? Or, or, or was it something else? I mean, how, how are you able to transition? It, it seems to me from the outside that you transitioned almost seamlessly. Was there something that you had or did that made it easier for you? Well, I, again, it's a, it's an interesting question because I've seen the same thing, uh, you know, just as a civilian looking at people coming out of the military. And and I would say it's a couple of things. One of them is uh, that, you know, there is a, you know, everything is planned in the military. You, you know what time everything starts, every time finishes. And so um, you get used to living that way of life. And, you know, it's, it's, and so from that standpoint, there is a transition regardless of what role you had, regardless of what you did. I think the, the, the way it works best and and, and certainly my company does that now is we um, have a very targeted hiring program for veterans. And so, uh, so what we're doing then is creating a, a welcoming environment 
And we're trying to maximize those positive skills that they bring and then help them along with some of the things that they might need to learn, you know, different group dynamics, different ways of doing things. And frankly, not everything being regimented, you know, 24 hours a day. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fabulous to hear because I think more companies need to have that type of a program in place uh, to help because there is a struggle right now. So hats off to you guys for doing that. Thank you. So, so you went from the army, you stayed, you were at air products for 26 years, but here's the thing. You were always in a constant state of movement when you were there. I mean, you yes. were promoted like every two to four years. I think, I think the, the longest stint was in the very beginning. You were there mm -hmm. for about 15 years, but then after that, you were just, you were constantly given uh, promotions and, and, and you were moving and taking on more enhanced responsibility. How is it? that you didn't stagnate? Like, how is it that you, like, what, what was your philosophy that kept you there, but also kept you in, in a state of movement? It's uh, again, a great uh, question. And I, the way I would talk about that or answer that is I, I first of all, never, um, I, I always kept my head down and dove into the deep end of the pool in every role I had. I never wanted to, come off as someone that was looking for their next job, let alone their next job, whether it was inside or outside of the company. So for me, uh, it was about really learning quickly and, and trying to make a difference as soon as possible. And when I joined the company, I, I looked around the office that I had been assigned to and sized up all of the salespeople, all of my peers that were in there. And, and frankly, it was very easy and very quickly. I found the one person who was clearly above the rest, you know, the, the best rep that we had. And um, I knocked on her door one day and said, would you mind if I kind of shadow you for a while? I know I've got this training program going on, but you, you know, you seem to really know what you're doing. And I, you know, listen to you, you know, how you're dealing with customers and et cetera. And, and I, it'd, it'd be great to shadow you and learn from you. And so I, I did that with her for the better part of a year. And to this day, that was 32 years ago. She and I are still you know, friendly and catch up now and then, gone in different directions in our careers, et cetera. I'd call that the first thing uh, that I did. Then beyond that, and I did that with every role. I'd look for people that you, know, you could emulate, you know, good habits uh, and, and frankly, some bad habits that you just wanted to make sure you avoided out there. <laughs> Um, the other part of it, too, was then, you know, as much as good companies and most companies have development plans for people, you, you still have to toot your own horn or at least get out of your own way occasionally. And so as I looked around the company, I would see roles that I was interested in and, and I would start talking to the people in those roles, not in a threatening way, like I'm coming after your job, but more around how did you get this job? What's challenging to you? What do you like about it? What you don't like about it? And then and, and try to plant seeds there and in the management team around wanting to do something. An example of this was that really the, the thing that really put me on the map at Air Products was taking over a global relationship for uh, our, one of our biggest customers. And they did not look at me as an option. I had not been with the company that long. I'd only been around a year and a half. And 
it, this was something that they would typically give to someone with five to 10 plus years of experience. Uh, and I literally went in and said, I, I really want this job. I will give it my all. And if I don't work out, fire me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. just, just fire me yeah. and uh, I'll go, I'll move on. And you know, the, you guys can you know, reboot and move on. Yeah. Well, I was in the role for six and a half years. They, they never did fire me, but it, it was all about really trying to grab some things. But again, back to the six and a half years, spending the time in there to do the job right and leave a legacy, build on something. And, and I truly believe that. I think that's a, that's a big part of what I do. So while it's been every, you know, two to four years, it's, it's a, it's a head first commitment into every role to make sure I'm doing the best that I can getting the feedback, using that to get better. Yeah. Why did you stay at air products so long? <laughs> I, 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 uh, sometimes I still ask myself that question, Scott, but I, I think first of all, they did give me a variety of opportunities. Uh, you know, they, yeah. they gave me promotional opportunities, uh, I was never wanting for more responsibility. I liked what I was doing. Um, I, you know, first 15 plus years, I was all in front of customers. And the and same thing today, customers are where I get my energy from. Um, and, and so from that standpoint, I traveled the world. I visited 20 or 30 different countries on behalf of Air Products and uh, really, really loved it. And so that, and, and as long as they continued to give me opportunities, uh, it was uh, a good, uh, you know, two-way commitment there. And, and I mean, Air Products, um, to, no, correct me if I'm wrong, they were, they were put on sort, sort of the um, Dow, Dow Jones Sustainability North America Index is one of the best performing sustainable companies. Yep. Which I mean, you guys dealt with a lot of chemicals and a lot of things absolutely. That, that, that I'm sure that companies like this, uh, there, there's complex environmental questions. Regular. I mean, did, how did you feel about the environmental legacy air products? Was that something that, that helped keep you in the game there? It, it did, and it's a it's a great point. Um, and I'd say a couple of things. One of them is that when you're in an in industry like that and you produce harmful materials or materials that have to be managed very correctly, you, you have to have good relationships with the communities that you operate in. And so everywhere you see an air products facility, I can guarantee you, in, even though I've been gone five plus years, that uh, we're, we're, you know, good relationship with the fire department, with the police department, um, you know, with hazardous materials, all that sort of stuff, because what we would try to do is educate everybody and, um, you know, take them through what we do and the safeguards that we have around it. I, I, if I could share a quick story about this in Phoenix, Arizona, there's a hotel right across the street from one of our plants. When the plant was built there, there was nothing in the, you know, within 10 miles, lo and behold, urban sprawl crawl, now there's this big hotel. And so when I would come to the facility to visit the team, I would stay in the hotel. It's right across the street. So I, I went in one day and, uh, you know, checked in and they didn't know who I was. And I said to the person at the desk, I said, my goodness, what is going on across the street there? That massive plant, that looks kind of scary. And he looked at me and goes, no, 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 sir. That is, and he explained to me exactly what they did at that plant. And, and I, I was thinking to myself, I need to hire this person as a sales rep, first of all. But second, and, and what it was is that the, the company 
went out and basically said, hey, I want all your team members. We'll bring them over. We'll show you what we do. We'll, you know, provide lunch, you know, pay for the time, whatever we need to do. But we want to make sure that people feel safe and secure that we're a good neighbor. It's that kind of stuff globally that the company really did a phenomenal job at. And, yeah, as a result, people uh, don't think twice when they see a plant in their backyard with with the Air Products logo on the on the tank. It's a, it's a transparency, I think, yes. that that people need and they see it and it makes them, you know, certainly feel better. So you were there for this period of time. What what lured you away? I mean, what could they pos- what could that person have said to you to make you say, you know what? Hasta la vista. I'm going somewhere else. Like, what was that? What was that conversation like? Well, it's and you know, I I started there in my 20s and I left in my 50s. I mean, it was that that dramatic of a time period. More than half of my life there at the time. And and what it came down to really was a couple of things. And one of them was, um, I, I think that I felt like I had more runway and and more to give and more to offer. People that were typically in my role were five to 10 years older, and they would typically retire out of a role like that. And I had no interest in retiring. Um, I had, uh, and and part of it was personal, I had a younger family. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at the time, uh, I have two boys, they're 16 and 18 now, but at that point, they were 11 and 13. And so I really wanted to work for 10 to 15 more years. And, and so that, that kind of drove the decision for me. And so I started looking around and, um, you know, tried to improve my, you know, profile from an outside perspective, all the things that you never think about updating a resume or a CV. And uh, what intrigued me about the Wesco opportunity was, uh, running a good sized business and also the international flavor of it was getting outside of the U.S. I'd been in you know, Allentown, Pennsylvania for 17 years and liked it. But, you know, it was kind of same old, same old at that point in time. And what this offered me was a completely new landscape, a new country, uh, a new industry, new, new, new. And so um, it appealed to me. And the other good news there is that I, I really, um, you know, as I met other people on the management team, I really felt a, a strong comfort level and a good fit with, with the organization. What do you say to a person who is in their 50s and they're looking to make a move? So often I hear age discrimination and, oh, you know, I'm, I'm too old, which, which always makes me laugh at 50. <laughs> like, that just seems so young nowadays that, you know, like careers can go into their 70s. Absolutely. So to me, it, it just seems awfully, they're cutting themselves awfully short. Like, what was it that you got yourself ready or did you just approach it with a different mindset? You know, why, why did this not, why was this not an impediment to you? Well, and and I give my wife a lot of credit for this, is that um, you know, she um, said, you know, everything you've learned in your career is translatable and transferable. And I've said this to my team members as well, is that, you know, bringing just because you don't have the depth of knowledge. And I've always said, I'll never, I'm not going to be at Wesco for 26 years. I, I doubt it. That I'd be close to 90 <laughs> at that point in time, or at least 80. So, 
it, it's really more about the skills and the the background you bring. So even drawing back to what I had learned in the army and you know as a field sales rep and managing a global account relationship, managing people, managing investors and investor relations, it, it all paid off and there were learnings that I could take and take with me. I think the other side of that though is that you you just you have to get to that stage in your life where you're like what I I want to do this and then what do I need to do? And so um you know frankly you know in you know I've it's certainly working with you Donna and you know building my uh LinkedIn profile. I was, I've only been on LinkedIn for two years now, thanks to you. Uh, I was always afraid of it because I knew it was a powerful tool, but I, I said, you, you really, I wanted to get in there and make a splash and be as professional as possible. And you of course helped me, you know, deliver that, you know, beyond my expectations, but I, you know, you do have to, you, you kind of have to figure out, okay, you know, what am I good at? What, how do I, you know, frankly sell myself? Yeah. And, um, and I mean that in a good way, you know, what are the th- attributes that you bring and, uh, you know, and, and then start leveraging capabilities and networks. I tapped into former CEOs that I had worked with and other senior business leaders to get some connections and just try to start the ball rolling. Cause you know, I was kind of starting from a fresh start literally after at that point, 24 or five years with the company. What were you like as a kid? Were you one of those friendly, gregarious kids who's always saying hello? And I kind of was, I, I was um, a bit of a class clown, believe it or not. And, um, you know, and kind of still am to a certain extent. Uh, one of the benefits of coming aboard with a new company is I have, you know, 50 years of stories that I've wore out on my old company that I have a whole new company to talk about. And most of them are self uh, deprecating about, you know, funny things that happened on sales calls and things like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I was kind of a good natured kid, um, you know, base played baseball, you know, climbed trees, played army in the backyard, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. What did your parents do? My mother was a homemaker um, and my father was a salesman and he sold uh, very, you know, different industries. And one of the things that's an interesting dynamic from that standpoint is he was a traveling salesman. And so on Sunday nights or Monday mornings, he got into his car and he disappeared for the week. And, you know, this is what you did in those days. You know, there was no internet and no cell phones. You just made lots and lots of calls. You covered a large territory. He sold office furniture, Hallmark greeting cards, jewelry, and insurance, I believe were the four main things he sold. Not at the same time. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, he must have had a huge carpet yeah, bag. <laughs> but over his lifetime. Um, and, uh, you know, and so you, I learned a lot. But what's, what's interesting about that for me is you know, that you know, he was away a lot. And so the, the pandemic, as much as it's been tough and, you know, a really tough road to hoe for everyone, I'm, I'm home every day. And so sometimes my wife says I'm not as round as much as when I was away because we get buried in work. But uh, it's, it's a neat dynamic. And it, as you said earlier, I think it's, you know, we're, we're getting more personable as a result. Yeah. People are getting to know us a little better and, yeah, you know, I think there's positives from that. Was it tough? I mean, as you know, as a leader at Wesco, 
I'm sure you got in with what HR and, and the other executives and really had to hash this out, you know, for our, our employees' safety and health. They, they've got to go home. How are we going to handle this? Was, was there resistance or how did, how did you, how did you handle that change? Yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I was surprised and impressed at how fast we kind of digested the fact that this was a very serious situation and that we needed to come up with alternative work methods, et cetera. We were not a company that with, you know, had everyone had a laptop in their hand and could go home and, you know, as long as you had a wireless, you could be anywhere on the earth. Mm -hmm. We, we weren't like that. Uh, we had to equip 2,500 people to work remotely. Um, and we were wow. able to do that in about six weeks. And we did that by repurposing old laptops, buying Chromebooks, you know, doing whatever we could. And uh, I'm very impressed by that. But so, so that was the easy part, though. The hard part was we're in the fulfillment business. So we've got customers to place orders on the internet, to call and place an order, you know, old-fashioned order-taking, et cetera. And we had to get product out the door. So it means we still have to receive product into our warehouses and ship out of those warehouses or branches. And in that, in just North America, over 500 locations that we needed to continue to operate. And so what we did, and other companies have done something very similar, is we put what we call the blue team, white team in place. What that means is we basically looked at the skill set in every location. And we basically said, do we, you know, kind of like Noah's Ark, do we have two of everything? And so when we did, especially in critical roles, we never had those two people in the facility at the same time. And then we would flip every week or every two weeks, depending on the location. And then the people that were working in the warehouse or in the branch would go home. The new team would come in. And then if one of them got COVID and we needed to quarantine, we could bring the other team back in. And it, it, it was very simple, very novel. Um, and and it, we, it basically allowed us to continue to run right through this thing, including knock on wood today. Um, the other piece of this that we did, though, which I thought was a great idea, was for all of our, wherever we had major centers. So we, we, have, we have a lot of people here in Pittsburgh. We have a uh, distribution center about 30 minutes from the city. We actually put together a volunteer list that if one of our facilities got knocked out, that you know, we had a list of you know, 30 or 40, in some cases, 100 people that were willing to you know, put on a pair of jeans and some steel toe boots and go into a facility and work. And we, we did that, had to do that on one or two occasions, but, um, you know, great, great teamwork, great. And I really um, commend the team leadership, uh, every, our day-to-day, -day, everybody out there, our associates around the world for really doing a good job there and, and looking out for each other. The biggest challenge that we have had is what people do outside of work. And yeah. so, you know, we've, we've even tried to coach people to, you know, keep the Super Bowl parties, you know, to just, you know, the family trying our best to, um, you know, persevere through it. But the, the team did a remarkable job that within two weeks, we had completely transformed the way we worked. And then, you know, we asked people to double up till they could, you know, we could get laptops in people's hands and get them connectivity. We had people that did not have wireless access and, 
we we put kits together that they could basically self install wireless and you know with you know, work with a provider that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, you know, very unique situation as we all know. And you know, I think we come out of it. We're we're all a little tired. We're all a little stir, stir crazy, but we're better off. I think because of the what we've learned through this. What do you think will be transferable? I wonder what kind of practices people will retain after the pandemic that, that we're doing now. Like, are people going to still work from home? Are we going to do, I mean, I wonder if it, how many things are going to be, because oftentimes it's only in crisis or disruption. No question. That re, you really look to new practices mm-hmm. and ideas. So, I mean, I, what do you think is going to, like in, in your own sphere, what do you think is going to be carried over in post-pandemic life? Yeah, Scott, it's, uh, it's another great question. And, and I, the one thing that I look at is most things that we've dealt with in the past have been much more short-lived than this. Um, I, I even think about 9-11, that you know, 9-11, as terrible as it was, uh, you know, and as much as it hung over our heads, people were back to work. You know, they were on airplanes within two, three weeks. It kind of way, here we go. I remember being the only person on an airplane about three weeks after uh, 9-11. So I think the fact this, that this has lasted longer will actually burn in some changes. But directly to answer your question, I, I see two things. The first one is the amount of travel that we felt like we needed to do to just take care of business. Myself, three weeks out of every month on the road. Um, you know, gold cards from you know, five different airlines and, you know, and just hundreds and not thousands of trips over my lifetime. We don't need to go all, to all these places as often as we did. And so that, that uh, and my brother-in-law happens to be a pilot, so sorry, but I don't see us getting back on airplanes from a business standpoint to the level that we once did. I think that will, for, for a long period of time, stay down. The other one is there. there's no question now that we've all got to embrace hybrid work arrangements. It, the fact that it works and the fact that you know, we've been able to sustain the business, I think we will come into a world, and, and I'll use my company as an example, we're, we're not going to invest in offices or bubbles around cubicles. And, you know, there were people wanting to come in and put up ply glass and all this other stuff. We're going to rotate people in and out. And I see a scenario where, you know, I'm in the office three days a week. We do meetings on those three days. The other two days working from home, maybe it flips another week to the exact opposite. But basically trying to put, we got to get people back together. So when we can do that safely, we've got to do that. We, you know, we, we need that camaraderie. We need the, you know, the, it, that human feeling and you know, closeness that, that everyone I think is missing. But I, I actually see us able to do that. No one's going to look at someone cross-eyed when they say, hey, is it possible for me to work from home? Because that's kind of what used to happen. And, unless, you know, frankly, you know, it's a leading edge, modern, digitized company the old world industrials, you know, just as I started the, the session with you all, I'm, you know, if your boss walks by at 7.30 or 7.45 in the morning and you're not in your office, that's noted. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that world, is, I think, has gone away now. And, and I, I think, you know, we, we will actually be more efficient as a result. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, think, it's, it's, I think it's a long time coming. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, I agree. I think we needed this level 
of, you know, something happening to, to force it to, to take place. But I, I think we're going to see that people, it, it is so nice, you know, to have a small commute, not to have to get into the car, you know, to be able to do a little bit more at home. I, I think it really is going to become a, a blessing. I think the one thing that we have to watch out for, though, is you know, I've described myself as infinitely schedulable. And so in some cases, my day starts in, in, in many other people, but 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning goes till 6.30, 7 o'clock at night with 30 minutes free the whole day. Mm-hmm. And, and it's too much because you're not, you, you're not going to get work done in many cases in a meeting. So you need to find time. And so I think what we've got to do is compress the hours at which we are willing to be on, say, a Teams or a Zoom call or whatever, and, and so that we make sure that we free up time to actually do our work. Yeah. And, I've been and, hearing a lot about um, deep work and that it's, right. it's getting harder and harder because there's, there's no so question. much distraction. And I think, you know, I've read so many articles about people literally feeling burnt out because now all of a sudden they're in meetings 14 hours a day. And so the one nice thing about sitting in your car in traffic was you could you know, listen to the radio. If you wanted to listen to a podcast, uh, you know, full disclosure, I typically slept on every flight I ever flew on. And so, um, you know, that sometimes worked against me when I tried to go to bed that night. But I, I you know, the seats are so small, I would just sleep on airplanes. So I kind of miss that, to be honest with you. So... Do you have, let's see, do you have a, a core philosophy or a key to success that you wish more people knew or realized? It, it, for me, it's pretty simple. Um, and maybe it does go back to the military. And that is the, in, in the Boy Scout motto, be prepared. And I, I'm I'm always surprised at the that oftentimes there's a lack of preparation that people come into meetings or sessions or customer visits and, and they're not, they've not done any planning. They've not done any thinking around it. And I'm, I'm a bit maybe on the other side of that pendulum is even though I've been around for a while and worked in business for many years, I still spend time every day, prepping for the next day. I look at the meetings. I look at my notes. I organize myself um, so that I can contribute as much as possible or be ready to contribute if I'm it's. And I think you know, I've, that's the one area where I wish people would actually invest more time in because it would make our meetings shorter. It would probably allow us to have fewer meetings. And, that, and that's hardly a Wesco comment. That's I've seen this my entire life. And I think, you know, not prepared to the point where you can't, you, you can't be spontaneous, certainly. Mm-hmm. But on the things that matter, be prepared. And and I think if we all did that, we'd actually be more efficient. We'd get more done. And frankly, we'd have more time off. Isn't that true? Hmm. Well, Nelson, thank you so much for your time today. You've, you've shared so much and we've got a lot of takeaways, a lot of things to think about and 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 even to put in place in our own lives. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It was actually a a great pleasure to be with you, and I enjoyed uh, our discussion. So thanks again. Thanks so much, Nelson. 
Thanks for listening to Dream Big with Big Dreamers. If you like the show, please do us a favor. Go into iTunes and write a review and give us a rating or share it with a friend via social media or email if you think they'd benefit from these conversations. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time. Until then, keep dreaming big.